0: So we record these a little bit in advance, as we've said before, but by the time our listeners uh, listen to this episode, the Olympics will just have started. And I'm going to be a party pooper, and I'm going to rain on everyone's parade today. Yay. <laughs> I like being a contrarian because uh, the Olympics are literally my least favorite two weeks of whatever, you know, every four years, every two years, whatever it is now. So everyone loves the Olympics. Everyone feel, is filled with national pride, whatever it is. Uh, but you know, I'm not a big fan. Uh, I'm not a big sports fan, but part of the reason I don't like the Olympics or the main reason is that it is an economic disaster. Uh, I mean, the the repercussions of it are so bad, but a lot of people like to say it's the opposite. Everyone likes to call this, you know, a, an economic booster. This is the same reason a lot of cities will, will say we should build a new soccer stadium and have the taxpayers pay for it because we're going to make all this money and it never happens. So to kind of get this conversation started, Connor, you and I both lived in utah in 2002 well wait did you live in utah then
1: i did actually okay, yeah I, I was, I in utah at the time
0: okay i didn't i wasn't sure i knew you went to high school in uh but you already graduated but anyway okay so yeah, that right. was 2002 salt lake hosted the olympics and I, I don't know if you remember connor but i remember turning on the news and all these politicians were promising everybody that you know this was going to be the best idea that we were going to make all this money do you remember some of what they were promising
1: yeah no it's uh a lot of it was, you know, all these facilities have to be built and uh, some of the existing facilities had to be upgraded. And so it was this this idea of, oh, you know, it's going to have all these jobs. We're going to have all this construction work. It'll be great. We'll we'll need to employ people for the Olympics themselves. Th- this is like a job creation thing. Right. Like so. So there's definitely a lot of that. And, uh, you know, that this isn't what actually happens, though. Like so there was a study of the Salt Lake Olympics. And they found that at most one quarter of the number of jobs that officials had claimed would be created were actually created. One one fourth. And Not there's actually, much. yeah, there's actually a quote uh, from this article that says the study found no identifiable increase in employment either before or after the Olympics. And while they f- uh, find a Statistically significant bump, meaning like a, a, a realistic bump in employment during the actual games themselves. The increase was from four thousand to seven thousand. So, which
0: isn't that much.
1: Not not very much at all. And this isn't a one-off case. Like you know, promises of job growth is is I th- I feel like not the only negative aspect of the Olympics. You know, there's there's this idea of general economic growth. We're gonna help all these people create all these jobs. Again, studies find little to no impact, positive impact from hosting the Olympic Games. It just does not happen. And yet, over and over again, it's like, let's spend all this money. Let's do all this grand thing. It's going to be this wonderful economic development utopia. And it would be nice if we would look to history and say, guys, this doesn't really happen. So why do we keep like, letting people claim that it happens when we know it doesn't happen? And yet, over and over again, they still talk about this being a great thing for the economy.
0: And we don't even have to look that far into history. And, and it's not even it's not even that there's no economic bump. It's that there's decline. So Brazil, I think Brazil was in 2016. Um, and this was supposed to be a game changer for the country. I mean, they were so excited for this. They had been going through their own, you know, economic downturn. And it was going to be the thing, right? The Olympics were going to help them rebuild. So they build all these facilities. And, of, co- of course, that's really expensive. And who's paying for these? You know, we are. Taxpayers are. Um, and so, after the game's end, it turned out that the stadiums and everything that they ended up paying for cost more than the money they brought in. So, like they're thinking like, oh my goodness, like we're gonna this is gonna be huge for us. we're gonna create jobs. And as it turned out, they actually lost jobs and they lost money.
1: I'm shaking my head. you can't see that. <laughs> you know, like to me that the tragedy here is that these promises just don't come true, and you know. No one can prove that like tourism increases, or that you know money that was poured into some new facility resulted in, in you know an increase in economic increase during the games. It, it's not just that the economic boost wore off after time; it's that it never really happened to begin with. There there was this one article uh, over at Fee, and we'll link to it on our show notes page, where it says that Britain, Great Britain, received about five percent fewer foreign visitors during the month that it hosted the 2012 summer olympics then during the same month the year before i mean greece they lost 70,000 jobs mostly in the construction industry in the three months immediately after their 2004 game so if you remember like Bastia, right that which is seen and that which is unseen it's so easy to focus on oh look you know right before the olympics we're creating all these jobs and yet you know it's very temporary or those people would be working elsewhere you're not really creating jobs you're just you know diverting people to work on this pork project this taxpayer funded project but then you know they return back to their unemployment or their or their job elsewhere and i feel like you know it's very important to know something about the free market when when there's real demand you know it delivers and and for those who really want the olympics there's been one attempt to at least partially privatized the Olympics, and I think we should learn a little bit from this example.
0: I'm so glad you brought this up because I actually wrote about this a handful of years ago, but it's Mm -hmm. such a good story, Connor, so I'm excited to talk about it. In the 80s, which was our time, that's when uh, Connor and Brittany came into the world, on the same day, by the way. Um, different, people, different year, a different year. year. Different year. Mm-hmm. I am younger, um, but people recognize that the Olympics were financially risky. I, I don't know why they've forgotten this all of a sudden, but when it came time for so host cities, when they want to host the Olympics, they have to bid for it. So they make all these promises, like we'll do this if you let us host, or we'll do this. It's actually very expensive to bid to host the games. But get this: in 1984, no one wanted it. No one wanted it. Only two cities made a bid, and that was New York and L.A. Nobody wanted it, and that's because in 1976, Montreal and Canada – They hosted the games, and they found themselves in $1.5 billion in debt. Oh. Yes, and they didn't even pay that off until 2006, so several decades. Yes, yes, for them to pay it off. So Los Angeles ends up winning the bid in 1984, but the residents were actually like, no, we're not having this. We are not going to foot the bill. We're not going to do what Montreal did. So the people of Los Angeles put their foot down. They're like, we're not going to do it. Um, so the city now had this great honor, you know, air quotes of hosting the Olympics, but they had no way to pay for it.
1: That's crazy. And Los Angeles of all places. I know, right? <laughs> you know, it, I mean, for me, like this is where the market comes into play there. Um, I remember there, there was a, like a local businessman who was this guy that was good with money and he wanted the game. So he stepped up and became kind of like this Olympic entrepreneur, you might say. So he, he, he spearheads, he's in charge of this, um, olympic organizing committee and it's made up of other like entrepreneurs and business savvy individuals and they had this goal they said we want to find private funding for the olympic games and this was something that like hadn't been done before and you know understandably for that reason since it was different critics weren't initially sold on the idea of leaving the fate of the olympic games to this committee of just you know businessmen but uh the 1984 olympics would go on to be remembered as like one of the most successful olympic games in history not not only did this committee of businessmen come under budget meaning they they didn't spend as much as they had planned they also managed to generate a profit which i think had only happened once before and so they you know they did private fundraising they had corporate sponsorships Uh, you know, I mean, we see this with like NFL and soccer and like, of course, you know, Nike and Adidas and whatever, like the logos are everywhere. These companies are Coca-Cola, right? They're paying tons of money and that's how sports can be, you know, paid for because it's very expensive. Um, And and these guys manage their money well. So this committee pulled off, I think at the time, what was unthinkable instead of throwing away millions, if not billions of, of dollars on new infrastructure you know, they made use of existing arenas, uh, college sports facilities, and they made history by selling the exclusive television rights to just one network, ABC. They paid, I think it was like a quarter of a billion dollars to to be America's only source for viewing the Olympic Games, which, you know, that's a very business savvy thing to do because ABC would want all those people watching the Olympics on their channel. That's going to let them sell more costly commercials, right? Because everyone will be on their like channel rather than, right. And yeah. so, so they'd be able to make their money back. They'd be able to have good branding. And so then it helped fund the Olympics by saying, you know, if you want exclusivity, you're going to have to pay more. And it just shows what, you know, the private market can do when you, when you let it work rather than these bloated bureaucracies.
0: Yeah. And I think that's is, is ABC. still again, I don't watch the Olympics. I want to say it's NBC. The last time I watched it was Carrie Strug in 1996. So I don't know. But the other cool thing about this is, you know, a lot of times they use the Olympics host cities to build new hotels to build all this infrastructure. In fact, in Utah, there's so many like buildings they have to pretend have use now because they just don't have use. But instead of building new hotels and new places to host everybody, they used college dormitories. And they used other housing facilities spread throughout the city instead of building. So Olympic villages are what they're called. That's where all the the actual talent, the athletes and everyone stay. And usually they build them these, you know, grandiose, expensive places to stay and L.A. was like, nah, like we've got college dormitories. We've got places to put you. And so this was completely unorthodox, unheard of for this time. And when all was said and done, the Los Angeles Summer Olympic Games cost a total of $546 million. Now, that's a lot of money. I know you and I are thinking like, all right, I don't have that much money. Ching. Yeah, right. But let's compare this to in 2013, was it the so- so- Sochi, Sochi, the one in Russia Winter Games? Um, That was $50 billion. Whoa. Ooh. Yes. So, I mean, that's nothing. And I don't know if you guys well, remembered. And- and to be
1: fair, Brittany, there, there. I mean, there was inflation between nineteen eighty four yes. and two thousand thirteen. But even if, like, you tripled the 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 money from nineteen eighty four, that's one point five billion dollars, and so compared to the fifty billion, like, that's crazy.
0: It's crazy. And I don't know if you guys remember seeing pictures from uh, the Russia games, like everything uh, was like dilapidated, like it became kind of comical because it was like, wait a second, where is this money going? Because this is all like just disgusting. So the the pictures were hilarious. If you can go back and look at them. But like we mentioned, to call the LA games solely private would be a little misleading. Um, the, city, the city did receive um, public funds. They did get some federal funds. But nothing has ever come close to being this private when we talk about the Olympics. And nobody thought it could be done. And the funny thing is, even though the 1984 Games proved that there was a way to do this with limited government intervention, we've forgotten that. And it wasn't that long ago, I know, because I was born around that time. <laughs> um, but like, it's like we've forgotten that we can do it, right? And now it becomes this thing again where it's like, no, we need this. You know, We need global unity or patriotism, whatever it is we're claiming. But we don't need to do it with taxpayer dollars. We, we've already seen it. We don't need to do it with Dollars.
1: I I, and I just don't get why. I mean, like, what? Maybe it's because politics is tribal and sports is tribal, yeah. right? It's like you vote for the home team, and oh, our home team is also our government. Go USA! And so they're kind of one and the same. So let's let's then use government money for sports because it's the same tribe. Like, I I don't know if it's that type of simple thinking that leads politicians to spend money on the Olympics. I think a lot of it boils down to this idea of, oh, hey, if we get the the people to come here, then we're going to have all this tourism dollars because they're going to stay in hotels and eat at restaurants and buy things here. And so it's an investment, right? If we pay, you know, a billion dollars to have them come to our city, um, then, you know, if we make back this much money, because people are buying things, and then they pay taxes, you know, sales taxes, things like that. Then we're gonna make our money back, and it's gonna be great publicity. But as as the story you've shared, like it doesn't really always, maybe ever, materialize ever. that way. And and they're they're playing games with taxpayer dollars. And I I don't think if you read the Declaration of Independence, it says anything about like funding sports teams or there's nothing in the Constitution yeah. about you know thou shalt you know tax Connor and Brittany and. You're going to confuse the
0: commandment there for a second, Connie? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it's
1: all one and the same. God certainly has never said, you know, pay taxes <laughs> for the Olympics. And so so why is it that we do this? And I, I don't know. It scratches my head. It's Maybe it's because it's tradition. I know? think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah.
0: And especially now, people think like, oh, COVID. Like, we need to, you know, reunify people, which is also funny to me because a year ago it was don't leave your house. And now it's like, well, let's go ahead and have the Olympics. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> Although I just saw... Uh, well, not just the, at the time we're recording, you know, they're having another COVID outbreak in Japan. And so now they're saying no audience. So now, so the day that this recording is live guys, the Olympics is starting. So we're all now going to be able to see like, what is actually this going to be like? Will there not be an audience? What, what will it be like for the athletes to perform in front of like zoom, <laughs> you oh know, goodness. like people yeah. watching online, it's just weird. And so much money has been spent and why, you know, like I, I'm with you, Brittany, I'm not really a sports person. I can appreciate athleticism, like, like people who are really talented, put in the hard work. Like, yes. I think that's awesome. Um, and that applies outside of sports. That's just, you know, working hard and really, you know,
0: being determined hard. and committed absolutely, to something.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. You know, that could be a musical instrument. It could be academics, you know, uh, underwater basket weaving. I don't know, but like, I can appreciate the talent, but, you know, I'm not, why should I pay for underwater basket weaving? If you want to do it, you go pay for it. If you want to do a <laughs> sport, you go, I don't know. It's weird. So I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm the moral of the story
0: here is don't become an underwater basket weaver. Yes. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's what you take away from this episode. We will have conceded. All right. With that, guys, show notes for today, as Brittany said, uh, you know, the article that, that she wrote and other resources we will link to at tuttletwins.com slash podcast. Go check that out. As always, share uh, the podcast with friends and family. Uh, really appreciate you guys spreading the word and getting a lot more people to learn about these ideas and little bites and pieces so that we can all appreciate the ideas of freedom and learn more together. Brittany, as always, thank you. And we'll talk to you next time.
0: Talk to you next time. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.